All right, Lee, we're golden. I know, folks, you guys are seeing the uh, that wonderful little image. Now, that's an image. I'm not doing no fancy intros anymore. I'm over fancy intros. Lee's on the flip side. Lee, what's up, brother? Uh, Pablo, I am doing wonderful in the Lord Jesus. Got a few bruises from the battle, but look, but we can't go forwards in the Lord's battle without getting a few bruises. We just need to keep looking unto Jesus and stay faithful. Amen. I totally, totally agree. Uh, listen, folks, I'm, uh, just to give everybody a heads up, I'm, I'm kind of revamping things. I've been seeking the Lord on how to um, just not do things different, but uh, not, not stay so static. I don't want to, I don't ever want to settle. And what I mean by settle is I never want to settle in what the Lord, the work the Lord has me doing. And so I'm just uh, I'm seeking the Lord on how to um, how to continue to do these. I'm going to do a whole lot more solos. I think I'm going to try to probably do half and half interviews and then some solos. So we'll see where the Lord leads. I would appreciate your prayers as I seek the Lord in that. And if you guys could join me in prayer for that as well, that would be great. Lee and I have it's been a while, Lee, since we've been on, brother. It has Man, been way been, too long, but yeah. we've both been busy. Yeah, we both been busy. Uh, Lee, so so, dude, tell me, you had the the Lee Brainerd tour over in the East Coast. Was it Florida? Yeah, so we had three different engagements in Florida. Had a wonderful time with the believers. Um, it's always encouraging to me when people come up and tell me, you know what, your ministry really encouraged me. Uh, whether it it encouraged them in understanding uh, prophetic doctrine better or whether it just encouraged them to be more devoted in following the Lord Jesus. I love to encourage the brethren. Yeah, it's always a good thing. And trust me, you get a ton of correspondence. I get a good handful of it too. And folks, let me tell you, encouragement is something that is desperately, desperately needed these days. I got to tell you, and it's not just, it's not just everybody watching. I mean, Lee, you know, I'm sure you need it. I need it. We all need the encouragement. Obviously, the Lord is the one that showers us with encouragement through His Word and through brothers and sisters in Christ who are praying for us. And this is cool to see the body of Christ at work because this is what the body of Christ is meant to do. So, Amen. Yeah, I'm encouraged. Uh, you know what? I do. I always love to hear where everybody's from. And uh, if you guys don't mind... Hit me up. I know I've got some people here. We got Idaho's in the house, Washington State, uh, Paris, California. So we got a Cali. Uh, Cali's in the house. So um, you know what? As the feed goes, uh, I'll keep looking over here and uh, take a take a gander to see who's who's all over here. So we have Melanie Banton all the way from New Zealand. So we got a second New Zealander because we got Carly in the house as well. So um, thank you to the mods. Love the moderators. If you guys can give the mods thumbs up because they do such a wonderful job. And folks, let me tell you, the, the work is not easy. So if you're if you're listening, uh, okay, look, we're they're all coming in now. We got Victorville, Arkansas, Texas, Houston. Uh, we got Washington, Oklahoma, North Carolina, Gettysburg, Canada. So from all over, this is the U.S. Virgin Islands. Lee, we've got folks from all over. Everywhere, Amen. everywhere, everywhere. So this is good. I want to welcome everybody, uh, Serpents and Doves family. Thank you guys for joining us. Listen, one thing I do want to say, and I've noticed, um, if you guys watch, and I think this is great, but you haven't uh, taken the leap to subscribe, if you wouldn't mind doing that, that would be 
Super, super cool. Would greatly, greatly appreciate just because, just because this, this YouTube algorithm is so functified, man. I tell you, if, if, if there's not constant movement, it will not put the content on other people's feeds. And what we want, Lee wants the same thing. And all of us, what we would want is the, the content to get in other people's feeds so that they could actually get into what we talk about, what Lee talks about on his channel, Soothkeep, and so many others. Pastor Tom Hughes. I mean, uh, we've got um, we got Don, Pastor Don Stewart. We've got so many folks that are doing the same thing. We have Britt Gillette you know, doing that. And so we want all this really good, rich content to get in front of the masses because we never know, rightly, if somebody who doesn't know Christ might even watch a handful of minutes and go, whoa, uh, who are they talking about? What are they talking about? And it would draw thirst and it would draw, the Holy Spirit would draw them unto himself, right? Amen. I've, I've been so encouraged with communications from people over the last year and a half to find out how many people have been saved in the last two and a half years through all the trials and turmoils that America and, and New Zealand, Australia, Canada, yeah. England have faced. There's tens of thousands of people, many of them in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, been born again. And they were born again by watching prophecy videos, trying to figure out what in the world is going on. Yeah. Amen. So it's huge. Uh, so again, we appreciate uh, all that you guys do as well. So anyways, Lee, let's jump in, man, because I want to have as much time as possible to get through as much of this as we can, because we're going to cover this all. Like I said, the debate ends today. It ends now because we're going to cover everything that you have in your book, folks. Um, let me just show this is Lee's book called Apostasia. I highly encourage you guys to get it. I believe the link is in the description below. I know that I didn't do any housekeeping. I think I'm going to start moving away from that and just let everybody know, hey, if you guys like what you see, if you feel led by the Lord to support the ministry, and let me tell you folks, um, and Lee would agree that your support helps a ton. I know that sounds so cliche and I can't stand saying it, but really it helps out more than you guys can imagine. So if you would like to um, help support the ministry, you can go to the Serpents and Dove site, click on the donate button. The link is hey, below as well. Bro, I'm yeah. not seeing your video, just your symbol. Is that just me? Do I have something set wrong? Um, I'm not sure. Let me ask the folks. Um, folks, are if you're able to see Lee and myself, would you mind just giving us a thumbs up? We want to make sure that uh, you could see both of us. Um, I'm not sure. I want to make sure it's not just the logo. So, So help me out here. And, and let me know. That would be great. Super, super cool. So anyways, uh, Lee, I'm not sure. I'm going to wait till uh, they say see both. So they see us both. I got thumbs up from Vera Jesus as well. Um, I'll wait till we get a couple more folks. Yeah, thumbs up. No, they see both of us, man. They see us both. This is weird. Yeah. All I see is your symbol. <laughs> but you hear me, right? I hear you. All right. Well, yeah, but I also don't see the chat, and I usually see the chat. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure. Maybe it'll pop up. Yeah, we got thumbs up all over, so this is good. They see Praise us Praise the Lord. All right, cool. So, Lee, let's jump right on in to the apostasia debate, shall we? Absolutely. So, essentially, what I want to do is I'm going to present, and then uh, we're just going to cover the first two really quick because we already did that uh, yep. in the last one, but just as a kind of... 
uh, to go over, you know what I mean, as a review, let's let's go through uh, the first point. And the first point is the meaning argument. If you don't mind, explain to us what the meaning argument is all about. So what the what the opposition says, and then what you talk about in your book. Sure. Uh, the standard argument made for those that leave apostasia in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 can refer to the rapture. They claim that the word in and of itself simply means uh, like generic departure and that it can, can and does mean physical departure, like a person moving from point A to point B, and therefore it can be used of the rapture moving from earth to heaven. When I first heard that argument, I thought, well, that's pretty cool. That'd be nice if it's true. Mm -hmm. But I had a gut feeling because I've been reading Koine Greek for many decades that it didn't have the ring of truth to it. So, but I, what I did, I got to the bottom of the whole thing. I actually examined every reference to this word from its first appearance in 250 BC in Archimedes' work, The Sand Reckoner. And I looked at every reference to the word in the extant literature all the way up to 500 AD. So we have 750 years of, of history, 283 appearances. There were a handful of technical uses in medical and legal terms that have nothing to do with the context. There was zero instances where the word was used, a physical departure, zero. Uh, out of all those 283 references, of a vast majority were either a political rebellion or religious apostasy. So the, the meaning of the word is rebellion and apostasy. Now, departure is a, is a legitimate translation if we understand uh, religious departure or political departure. It, we use that word that way all the time in English. We talk about departure in the churches in our day. Sure. Now, the second part of this, uh, oh, no, I'll let you go on because we're going to go in next into the translation. Yeah, so, so so really quick, if you wouldn't mind, just quickly cover the uh, Paul Feinberg study. Um, yeah, he went through, he didn't do as exhaustive a work as I did with the Greek word apostasia. Yeah. But he did a bunch of work with both the noun apostasia and its related term apostasis. And he looked at hundreds of examples in uh, Koine Greek era yeah. uh, prior to the time of the writing of Second Thessalonians. And not one of those instances did he find it used for either of those words used for physical departure. He found them used for the same kind of scientific and technical uses that I find with apostasia. And he found political and religious departure. Okay, so one thing that I would like you to cover is, sorry, folks, if you see that little bar show up with Zoom down there, it's kind of annoying, but oh well, it is what it is. It uh, Every time I roll my mouse over Lee, watch what happens. Boom, that little bar shows up. So, Lee, I'll try not to roll my mouse over you, all right? So that's a little all bar right. doesn't show up. Okay, but one thing that I want you, again, quickly, because this is more review, one and two. There, yep. You talk about the accusation of unrelated text, and I, I think that's really important uh, to cover quickly on, on uh, the first point. If you wouldn't mind telling us what do you mean by that, the accusation yeah. of unrelated well, text. The, the charge was made that for us to go looking 
to all how the uh, Greek word apostasia was used in Koine Greek, that they're saying we're looking at unrelated context. Well, I think the charge is hypocritical because uh, what they do, uh, one of the arguments is used to defend the rapture interpretation is point to the second entry in the Little and Scott lexicon. And they say, see, it can mean departure. Yeah. Well, hold on, folks. If it is uh, pointing to unrelated context to actually look at the Koine passages your, yourself to find the meaning of the word, then it is uh, looking at unrelated context to look up in a lexicon and find somebody else's research on the very same material. Okay, so break that down even more, right? Okay. So when I hear you say unrelated context, so we're looking at the word apostasia as found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, but yep. uh, you're talking uh, about the Liddell and Scott lexicon. So talk to us what exactly, I mean, break it down so I can understand in dumb, dumb terms for me. So what, what does it mean when you talk about unrelated context? Well, I'm not sure that they have a well-defined meaning for the thing. Um See, because typically when we're talking about unrelated context, we're looking at the meaning of, of a word in a passage, and we're looking at it in its context. Right. And typically, any other passage that uses that term in the Bible, in, unless it's a completely unrelated definition for that word, it is, is still related context. It might be not in the immediate context, but those other passages throw light on the subject. Okay. Um, and that's what we want to do. Um, no word in the New Testament is an island. Sure. It gets its meaning from the context. It gets its meaning from other uses of the same word in the New Testament. It gets its meaning from uses of the same word outside the New Testament, like the Old Testament. And when we want to find the meaning of a word in the New Testament, it's a fundamental principle of literal interpretation, which we technically call the historical grammatical hermeneutic. Yeah. It's a fundamental principle that every word in the Greek New Testament is used in the same way in the Greek New Testament that it's used outside the Greek New Testament. God wasn't speaking an esoteric or magical or his making up his own language. Sure. He was using the common language of the common people in senses or definitions that they would understand immediately. They wouldn't have to run for a dictionary okay. or they wouldn't have to go find some wordsmith and, and pay him five bucks for him to do research on what the word means. Okay. So we come to words like grace. Uh, grace is used outside the new Testament, exactly the way it's used inside the new Testament. The one difference is in the new Testament, those senses are taken in an elevated sense. So now we're not talking merely about grace or favor with man, right. which is how it's used outside the Bible, but in the New Testament, it's grace or favor with God. Sure. And so the words in the New Testament have the exact same definitions they have outside the New Testament, but they have them in elevated senses. And so I think this whole argument about looking to unrelated context is simply an underhanded way to... to basically get rid of the uh, literal historical grammatical hermeneutic that that uses the common koine meanings. Okay, so, and we're going to get back 
to this context argument because yep. folks bring that up when they talk about, well, we have to look at the passage in context. And we're going to yes. get to that. I believe that that is the last point, second to yes, last or is. last point we're going to cover. So, okay, um, l- let's move on from the meaning argument. Again, folks, I want to encourage you guys to get Lee's book. If you can, that would be great because, and actually go back and watch the first podcast that Lee and I did on the subject. We cover that pretty extensively, but but I want to move on because there are six points that I want to make sure that we get covered when it comes to um, this whole apostasia debate. And I think what we want to do, what I'd like to do is make sure that even though we might not cover everything in grave detail, I want to make sure that each and every one of you has enough ammunition or at least enough curiosity to go, hmm, there's something to what Lee's saying. There's something to what they're saying. And then go back and be a Berean and study these things for yourself. So that is the hope that Lee and I have, at least in this podcast, is to get that um, to get that going on. So the first argument was the meaning argument. And again, we can spend a whole lot of time with that. The second one that I want to move on to, and again, this is still a bit of review, is the translation argument. So if you yep. wouldn't mind, cover quickly the translation argument. And we'll talk a little bit about that. Yes. Uh, the argument is made that the proper translation for the Greek word apostasia is departure. And that's a legitimate translation. I wouldn't say it's the only one. And they point out that all the older English versions, or they claim all the older English versions, have the word departure, and they meant physical departure. And then they add to that the fact that all the modern versions, from um, you know, starting with the King James, went to falling away. And this was trying to avoid the concept of departure. And it was the devil trying to undermine the whole concept of the pre-tribulation rapture. But the fact of the matter is, the um, the whole argument is based on fallacies. If you actually go back and look at all the early English versions, you're going to discover it simply is not true that all the earliest English versions feature the word uh, departure. The earliest Wycliffe versions featured the Greek or the English word dissension. And um, and a hundred years before Wycliffe, there was a, a book called the uh, the World Runner, and that work um, had the um, the word dissension in there when it was rendering the the very verse that we're talking about. Yep. So this is an old thing. Now, also, if you go back and you look at the look up in the Middle English Dictionary and look up the Middle English meaning of departure, Mm -hmm. guess what you're going to find? Which I have it right here. Physical departure is not listed in a Middle English dictionary. That's right. The word meant dissension or contention or division. Yeah. And it wasn't until the 1600s that the meaning of physical departure started coming into being. And when the word started taking on the meaning of physical departure, that's when the translations moved away from the departure translation and went with falling away in apostasy. Yeah, absolutely. So listen, I want to make sure that everybody understands that the the debate that the debate going on here is whether it is a literal falling away meaning from the faith or a spatial departure, a physical departure. That's so right. So that's that's really what 
what this this whole thing is. But I agree 100%. So in page, on page 33 of your book, you say, Those who contend for departure in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, appear to operate on the assumption, okay, key word there, assumption, that departure was used in the 15 and 1600s in the same way that it is used in the present day. And so it's important that we, we need to understand the usage of the word back then than the way it's used present day. Let me ask you a question, Lee, and this yeah. I think is pivotal too for people to understand. The word apostasia or apostasy as we know it present day did not mean what they didn't have that meaning for a physical departure. They didn't use it in that sense for five or six hundred years after it was written, correct? In Second Thessalonians right. 2 3. The, the first appearance in extant literature that I could find uh, for a physical departure use of apostasia was in the 700s in the Mariolatry literature, in other words, the idolatry of worship of Mary, mm -hmm. that was Catholic literature in the 700s, and that's the first time apostasia was used in the sense of physical departure. Yeah, amen. It let was me, still a rare sense after that. Let me show some things. Let me get your uh, your take on this. If I go to this website here, anybody could go to this website. It's just the King James Bible online right here. But check this out. This is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Um, and this is the original page that you guys are seeing here. Lee, are you able to see this or no? I cannot. All okay. I see is your symbol, bro. Okay, so check this out. Um, try what you could probably try and do is exit the video and then go back in. I'll bring you back in. So if you want to exit and then come back in as I'm kind of okay. explaining this, I'll see you. So okay. if you want to do that, let's because I want you to be able to see this stuff, dude. Okay, be back in a flash. You got it. Go for it. So, folks, what I'm showing you guys right now is, again, you guys can go on the KingJamesBibleOnline.org, and if you put the passages up here, this is, again, 1611 King James Version books. This is actually, let me bring Lee back in here. Let me see if we got Lee. Lee's back in the house. He's connecting, so bear with us, folks, because I want Lee to be able to see this. Let's see. Okay, we... I still... Do I need to sign into Zoom myself? Is that the problem? No, you should be able to see all of this. Should be able to see this. Not sure what's what's going on, but um, it's all good. No worries. If you if you want to troubleshoot that, what I'm showing everybody right now is is a original page of the second epistle of Paul, right? In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. If I click on this image, let me show you guys a closer image. Uh, a closer image of it. Right here, this is chapter 2, right there. And uh, if you guys go down to verse 3, it says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. So, Lee, this is the original King James Version, and it says a falling away first. Explain yes. to us what they're referring to when it's when he's saying a falling away. Yeah, and falling away just simply means to fall away from the Lord, to depart from the Lord, to apostatize from the Lord. And what's really interesting is if you go back in all the earlier English versions that had the rendering departure, 
and you look at their introductions to the oh wow we got video now what happened uh i don't know we got it that is bizarre we got it we got it baby Praise don't know God. what happened Praise but God. anyway tickle to death oh wait so those earlier english versions you know what but I... in their introductions their footnotes they all said that uh they meant falling away they explained they meant falling away or apostasy with departure you know what look right here literally i rolled over this this is what i rolled so you came back on rolled over and this button right here on off what on, button is that off i know folks i'm playing around right now but see now it doesn't want to go back on See, now it's kind of doing its own thing. Maybe I shouldn't have touched it, but that's it. It's Maybe I should have quit Zoom and restarted it because now it's just sitting there, see? Um, so, well, we're going to have to see, folks, what happens here. Sorry about that, but this is what I mean, technical glitches. Um, Zoom, I'll be, I'm telling everybody, every time I upgrade or I update something, to the latest version, something happens. You oh, guys, no doubt. You guys can't see that button there, but it literally has a mind of its own. And right now, it just doesn't want to move again. See, now we're stuck with no no image again. So, I'm not sure what's going on here. Uh, God love Zoom for that, um, but it is what it is. Maybe I shouldn't have touched it. But anyways, hopefully it'll come back. Sorry about that, Lee. <laughs> Sorry, folks, for the interruption, but go ahead. Um, I'll, I'll keep checking back on that, Lee, to see if that thing disappears or comes back. I, I'm not sure what to do now. So sorry well, about just that. Just to boil it up and, and boil it down, the, the fact of the matter is all the early English versions meant uh, when they had the word departure, they meant spiritual departure or apostasy, and they plainly stated in their footnotes, in their marginal notes, in their introductions to Second Thessalonians, um, so there's just, and that, that was the language that was used in the commentaries back then too. Yeah. So there's, there's, we don't have any excuse for thinking that they meant physical departure by departure. Um, you have to ignore, uh, all you have to ignore 99% of the information to believe that. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Here's something else. Sorry. Again, let me apologize Lee real quick, because I know folks are just seeing that, that strip at the bottom there, um, there's nothing I could do. This is what I mean. So Zoom totally froze on me, and there is zilch that I could do about this. It is just sitting there, and um, it is what it is. This These things have a mind of their own, and so I have to apologize for that, folks. Um, but if, if at some point it decides to go away, well, praise God. So listen, I have here your book and I think you did such a wonderful job at uh, outlining and your your research is great but here you have book intros chapter prefaces you go from the Geneva Bible the Matthews Bible the great Bible 1551 Tyndale again Geneva 1557 5060 you go over every single one of these translations and they're all they all mean a falling away a falling That's exactly away, right. A falling away. I mean, every single one. As I go down these now with the marginal notes, right? Because these these early versions had marginal notes. The Coverdale Bible. And folks, if I can show this to you guys, let me go over here. Let me go over to. That's the Geneva Bible, right? This is the argument. 
But if we go to the Geneva Bible, you guys can go to GenevaBible.org as well. Right there, we ought to think... Uh, no, that's chapter 1. Let me go to chapter uh, 2, verse 3, which is right here. So check this out. Right there, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a departing first. And that word departing in the Geneva Bible is what? It is a falling away, right? Here you say, this is... Um, this is the Geneva Thompson New Testament 1595. And uh, right, can I read this real quickly? You say the Go reading. Ahead. Yeah, this is great stuff. The reading in the text, quote, except there come a departing first, is associated with a note which says, quote, the apostle foretelleth that before the coming of the Lord, there shall be a throne set up clean contrary to Christ's glory, wherein that wicked man shall sit and transfer all things that appear appertain, wow, this is old English, to God to himself, and many shall fall away from God to him. End quote. You, you go on to say, let me go over here to us. You go on to say, this is explicit testimony that the editors of this version regarded departing and falling away as synonyms, right? Synonymous to one another, and that they further regarded departing to be a reference to a falling away from the faith in the last days that is precipitated by the Antichrist. And you go on, I mean, folks, seriously, it's just page after page after page. And, and I don't know how anybody could refute this. So how do people move away from all of this proof text? Well, the, the problem is they don't investigate it. That's the, that's the problem. When, when once people take up an error and they're, they get married to it, they're, they have their fingers in their ears and their hands over the eyes, and they refuse to hear and see anything that would challenge them. And uh, I've I presented these arguments to people, and they, they just roll right off of them like water off a duck's back. Yeah, We need to tremble at facts and, and strong arguments. We need to quit trembling at doctrinal presuppositions. Yeah, absolutely. I agree 100% because, again, I said this in the first one. I'm not sure if I said this on the second one we did on apostasia. But anybody that reads this book and still holds on to the notion that it is a, a reference to the rapture, Listen, okay, it is what it is. They have the right to do that. But it is really difficult for me after you have so much proof here um, not to, I don't understand why, you know, heels are dug in so deep because folks, at the end of the day, we don't need, this is, again, I'm not putting words in your mouth, Lee. So, so I'm just, this is just me speaking. I guess I just don't understand why we feel we need yet more proof of a pre-trib rapture in Scripture and why we hold on to this when the Scripture is so crystal clear about it. I don't know what your opinion is about that. Well, I no, I, I'm on the same page, brother. And I'll tell you what, more damage. Now, folks think that they're doing the pre-tribulation rapture cause a service yeah. by holding this argument up. Yep. And I can tell you firsthand in dealing with the people that are opposed to the pre-tribulation rapture, this argument is a laughing stock. Yeah, yeah, I um, agree. They they have zero respect for it. They have half a respect for some of the pre-trib arguments. Yeah, and they'll respond to those arguments uh, 
with their own throwing dust in the air. But when you come to this argument, they have all the ammo on their side. The word means apostasy. It means falling away. That's what it means. Yeah, absolutely. I'm telling you, and I, I would love to even just stay on the translation debate, on the trend, I'm sorry, on the, um, yeah, the translation debate, because just based on this one, and even the first, the first argument, um, it's almost like, you know, end of story when you yep. start looking at all this, but you've gone on and you have four more arguments points that you do such a well job, uh, such a well job. Wow. Listen to me, such a wonderful job at, uh, um, your exposition is fabulous. I mean, I'm looking here as I'm listening to you talk, Lee. I'm looking again through the early German translations and the Latin translations, and everything points back to a falling away of the faith, a departing from the faith. Um, Absolutely. In that book, every argument that was made in all the books and all the book chapters. And all the published papers and all the online papers, I read over a dozen works defending the rapture interpretation. And out of all those works, I gathered up all the arguments they made. And in my book, I answered all of those arguments. And I believe that I destroyed all of them. Yeah. And, and not with subtle, cunning arguments, but simply just presenting facts that anyone can honestly weigh. Yeah, absolutely. And trust me, you do a fabulous, fabulous job. I'm not going to even try to read German. You won't like it. Um, <laughs> so uh, I'll tell you what, let's let's move on. Um, let's move on, because I really do want to cover the last four, the last yes. four. Um, you have the the patristic handling, right, which is the the patriarchal handling of this. The briefly, briefly cover, if you don't mind, just Talk about that really quick. The patristic handling of Second Thessalonians two three. I think you froze. Did you freeze? I think Lee froze. See what I mean? This is this is um, this is Zoom at its finest, folks. I think what I'm gonna see. Maybe he'll come back. I'm not sure. Oh man, there is so much good information. I'm telling you, the enemy works overtime to try and make sure that you guys don't get this stuff um this stuff in your hands i'm gonna go over here real quick because if there's any way um let me see if i could end the meeting it won't end let's do this let's do this folks just bear with me i'm gonna try and bring lee back on real quick and see if we can't um if we can't make if we can't turn this around in Jesus name, Father God, I pray as I'm working, Lord, in Jesus name, that you would help uh, us just connect, Father, that you would protect this technology, Lord, the use of this technology. And Father God, that we would be able to get this information out, Lord, I pray this in Jesus name. So uh, let's let's get this crack a lack in again. Let's see if, if this recording work. in progress. I'm sure you guys heard that recording in progress. God love it. So um, just bear with me, folks. I'm so sorry. I apologize. Um, let me see if I can bring Lee back in and uh, see let's see who we got. Lee's coming back in, and uh, I want to see. All right. Lee, we're now back. we're rolling. We are rolling. Let me stop this. Let me go back over here and start again. Man, it is just stuck on this image of you. 
and I'm not sure. Tell you what, give me one. I quick can see. I can see everything fine on my side. I'm telling you what. Every time I start Zoom, let me see. Do you see yourself? Uh, praise the Lord. I do. Yeah, I see myself in both frames. Perfect. Okay, so this one, if you guys just give me a quick second, I will fix this. Every time we do Zoom, we got to. So there we go, folks. I think I got it. And then now you I could... see two. Okay, now we're good. So we see everything, right? We're good. Yep, I see one frame has me and you together, and one has just me alone. Then we're golden. Praise God. Uh, we prayed, and God is faithful, and I'm not going to touch anything. I'm going to leave it just well, as, as is. Uh, as I've heard um, L.A. Marzulli say a few times, the devil works uh, in the electrical realm in a mighty way. Yeah, and I agree. No, I totally agree. I totally agree 100%. So now that we're golden... You could see everything, um, and I wanted to show you real quickly because now you could see it. This is what I showed folks on the original page of the King James Version. And, oh, yeah, that's pretty cool, yeah. You know, and they, you guys could find all of this right there if you go to the King James Bible online. Um, there are great resources in there, and I encourage you guys. This is, again, original 1611, and like I said— Lee, you and I could spend so much time just going through the uh, going through the translation argument. But what I had asked you earlier was if you wouldn't mind quickly covering the patristic handling of Second yes. Thessalonians two three. I want people to really kind of wrap their minds around that. Go for it. See, if if it's true that the Greek word apostasia can legitimately be understood of a physical departure, then you would think. Um, and now I lost you again, bro. You lost? No, no, no. That's you. That's all you. I put you. You're front and center now. That's what people see. You're on okay, stage. You got I'm the in stage. both the windows now. For oh me. yeah, you got the stage, man. This is all you. right. All right. So we're gonna run with this. Yep. So if it's true that apostasia could mean physical departure, then you would think that in all the early church fathers that handled this passage in Second Thessalonians chapter two and addressed the Greek word apostasia you would have thought that some of them would have defended a physical departure or rapture theory because some of them were pre-trib. Yep. And you would have thought that the ones uh, that weren't would have opposed it. But the fact is not one church father ever mentions a physical departure, either positively or negatively. The concept did not exist. Yeah, I want to read something from your book. This is page 53 on the patristic handling of this um, section of scripture. And you said, not a single father treats apostasia in that passage as a reference to physical departure. This is telling. If apostasia bore the sense of physical departure in the Koine, Koine era, surely a few fathers would have proposed the rapture interpretation, but none did. Like what you just said, here's the key. Every father, again, every father treated this instance of apostasia as a revolt in the last days. And so if every single father treated it as a revolt in the last days, wouldn't it make sense if we're if we're thinking logically that the meaning of the word used meant a falling away from the faith? What do you think? Yep. Lee? A revolt against God, a falling away from God, departure from God, absolutely. Yeah. That, absolutely. that is what this verse means. So Again, folks, here, I mean, there is just ample, ample research that you did in regards to um, in regards to this. And I, 
I'm going to keep harping on this. I want to encourage you guys to get the book. Um, yes, it'll help Lee. Obviously, he put a lot of time and effort into this. and Two uh, years of research. A lot. I'm telling you, a lot of research. And But more importantly, you, it's not. this is not the entire um, read, uh, really. It goes, What do you, I think you have right here. Here we go. About this, 100 pages. Yep, that right there, folks, is the entire argument, everything that we're talking about, and obviously in some more detail. This whole section right here, this part you see here, that's the entire appendix and all of his research. It's all here. So it's not like Lee, you're saying this is, you know, this is what Lee says. This is what Lee says. And this is all the research that Lee uses to back up what Lee says. So okay. anyone that's seriously interested can put four hours of research into plowing through the appendices and they can get as much information taken in in four hours as it took me two years to gather. Yeah. So, folks, again, we just want to encourage you guys to to be Bereans. You know what I mean? Amen. Don't don't get stuck on one thing just because that's what you heard. I think the better what the Lord wants us to do is dig deep into Scripture be Bereans about specific subjects, because at the end of the day, you might look at something and go, oh, wow, totally, I could, you know what, this is 100% right, what I thought before doesn't line up, and so it's okay when it comes to these certain, um, I don't like calling them debates, but when it comes to these arguments, it's okay to go, hmm, I think I'm going to switch, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to switch over, why? Not because you're doing it out of uh, you're just being a nice person. You're doing it because you've done your research, and that's the fact. And you always want to go with what the fact and the truth is, right? So Amen. I'll leave it at that. Um, let's move on, because I do seriously want to cover all this. We've had some technical issues. Um, number three, let's talk about the theological argument. Break that down for us, and if we have some time, we'll kind of you know, we'll fill in the gaps there. Sure. The theological argument says that it's impossible for apostasia in 2 Thessalonians 2.3 to refer to the apostasy in the last days because there has always been apostasies. Yep. And if there's always been apostasies, how are you going to tell the apostasy of the last days apart from the rest of the apostasies throughout the church age? And, and they go from there. They say, now, if it can't mean the apostasy, it has to mean the rapture, because the word is departure. And yep. if it's not uh, an apostasy departure, then it's going to be a physical departure. But this is just a subtle way to beg the question. There's actually zero substantial theology in the argument. Not only do we face the fatal flaw that the Greek word apostasia never bore the sense of physical departure, therefore it can't bear that sense in this verse, but we also find the problem that the very form of the argument they framed is false. Let's follow the argument, and then we're going to give the examples why it can't be sure. Uh, true. Sure. If sure. we say there's always been apostasies, therefore there can't be the apostasy in the last days. If it's legitimate to frame this argument, then what would you say if I said, oh, wow, that's cool. And then I tried to be consistent with it. And now I would say, 
there has always been antichrist in the church. I was just thinking, and therefore, the same there thing. can't be the antichrist yeah. in the last days. Yep. There has always been tribulations in the church age. Yeah. Therefore, there can't be the great tribulation in the last days. Correct. Well, yep. no, these these arguments are illegitimate. The very form of the argument is illegitimate. The fact is, the fact that there have been tribulations throughout the age proves that the mystery of iniquity yeah. is aiming for the great tribulation. The fact that there have been antichrists throughout the age proves that the mystery of iniquity is angling for the antichrist yeah and the fact that there has always been apostasies in this age proves that the mystery of iniquity is bullying its way through church history to bring into being the apostasy okay so, so the argument actually goes the exact opposite way mystery of iniquity define that real quick because i'm sure there's people that are watching now maybe they're going to be watching on the flip side they're like wait wait what is the mystery of iniquity yeah, the mystery of iniquity is the fact that uh, we have some awful, awful evil that's in this world. Yeah, you can say that again. An evil that goes deeper <laughs> and darker than merely the fact that we are all, you know, we have our problems. We're yeah. tempted to fornication, tempted to yep. drunkenness, tempted to live for pleasure instead of things of God. In and of ourselves, just as fallen human beings, we have problems. The mystery of iniquity is a deep and subtle rebellion against God that's led by the devil himself. It's going to come to a head in the Antichrist. This is why we read, the mystery of iniquity is already working, except that we're waiting for the revelation of the man of sin. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, this mystery of iniquity is the same iniquity that rose its ugly head at the Tower of Babel. It went through the Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire, and it's going and it's been in every major religion on the planet, and it's going to come to a head in the last days when all these Babylonian religions come together in one gigantic anti-God, anti-Bible, anti-Jesus, Babylonian mystery religion of the last days. Yeah, I agree 100%. So I like, uh, as you brought that up, the you made that distinction— the final antichrist the yep. final tribulation right the great yep. tribulation so i i was thinking of that as you were talking because i think that really uh that really does put things in perspective because within the theological argument there's actually three arguments that you talk about number one which is the one that you just said there has always been apostasy you just covered that argument number two is that there's no way to recognize a last day's apostasy. So your response. Yeah. Uh, to me, I, to be honest, when I come to arguments like this, I just scratch my head. I, <laughs> I, I can't believe that anyone would actually frame an argument like this and yeah. dare put it in print. Yeah. Um, but it is what it is, as you like to say. Yeah, it is what it is. Yep. But here, here, there's there's actually arguments in the scriptures that um, demonstrate that the apostasy of the last days. We're going to look at eight different arguments that demonstrate a significant, substantial difference in a, in apostasy in the last days. That's qualitatively and quantitatively different. Yeah. But before we go to the scriptures, let me just point out: um, we, there's always been sexual perversion in the in the history of the church. Yep. But right now. We are have sexual perversion so permeated in the church and so permeated through society 
that there's actually no comparison. Uh, prior to the rise of the modern sexual revolution, there was nothing like it, not even close yeah. anywhere in church history. Yeah. There's always been atheists in church history, always. But prior to the rise of the modern atheism started in the 1800s and, and has risen to dominate the educational uh, uh, institutions of our day, prior to this, there was nothing like it in church history anywhere that paralleled this. And we could give another half a dozen examples sure. of stuff where we have stuff today in for apostasy, there's no example. Yep. So for people to look at what's going on in the world and say, how in the world are we going to have any difference between the apostasies of the past and the apostasies of the last days, I just have to wonder, did you unplug your brain and, and pull your eyeballs out? Yeah. Can I jump in there real quick too? Go ahead, um, bro. If I could just add real quick, I think if we're going to look at this massive apostasy happening within the church, because we can't, obviously, when we're talking about apostasy, falling away from the faith, we're not talking about those that are dead in Christ, those that don't know the Lord. We're specifically talking about the body of Christ, the church. So one thing that is troubling, very, very troubling, is everything you said, I think on top of that, I would probably put the sheer heresy that's coming from the pulpits, not just here stateside, but all around the world. And if yep. that is not an indicator, if that's not an indicator of a great falling away, the apostasy that's, I believe we're seeing that starting, to, well, not starting, we're seeing it happen right before our very eyes. Oh, um, absolutely. You know, I don't know what is. So I just wanted to jump in there and, and just throw that that yep. little tidbit. And I, and I look at apostasy as having three levels. We have the level where the world uh, is departing from, in the last days, is under the Antichrist, is going to depart from every vestige of light they had. Yeah. So, for instance, Islam has believed in a one true God. Um, now, we know there's a lot of error mixed in there. But Islam as a whole, under the Antichrist, is going to walk away from their faith in one true God, who's the almighty creator. And they're going to apostatize from the light they had. Yeah. They didn't have enough light to be saved, but they had enough light that they could, that they could find salvation if they really cared and they don't care. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, and, and, and it, well, I could give other examples of yeah. that, but then we also have uh, where you were touching on uh, apostasy in the professing church. Um, the Catholic Church, Mormon Church, Jehovah Witnesses, everybody is going to go belly up. There will be individuals that come out and seek the Lord in that great apostasy, sure, sure. but they're going to go belly up. Yeah. And the ugliest part, the most painful part, uh, and this is directly what you were referring to, is in the true church, where we can't apostatize in the sense that we're going to lose our salvation, but there are ugly doctrines defiling and polluting the uh the true evangelicals oh, yeah. yep huge. huge it's ugly yeah it's very very ugly so okay um let, let me reel us back in so we talked about argument two no way to recognize a last day's apostasy i don't know if you want to add anything to that before we move to the yeah, third let one. me just give a few examples from scripture really sure. quick please um in second thessalonians chapter 2 verses 3 through 12 we see a time when the Antichrist is going to be working genuine miracles through the full power of Satan. There's going to be strong delusion from God, and the whole world is going to turn to worship the Antichrist in rejection of all known light. Yep, Folks, this is apostasy. 
we could also look at uh, Matthew 24, um, which let me just quickly pull up page 75 here. There's a few arguments here that I think I'll just quickly race through them. Yeah, go for it. Um, on page 75 of my book, uh, we see that there it says there shall be great tribulation set, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor ever shall be. And then we read in verse 12, because iniquity shall abound, the love of the most shall grow cold. Folks, that's apostasy in the last days. Um, Can you read? You know what, Lee, do me a favor. Yeah. Um, right there, page 75, if you wouldn't mind reading the, the, that first, or first and second sentence of your last paragraph, starting the third line of arguments, argument. Okay, yeah. Yep. Um, I think it's great. Do you want me to read yeah. it? Yeah, I'll, I'll just read the whole paragraph. Go for the it. The third line of argument is the fact that the Lord would not use similes like as the days of Noah and as it was in the days of Lot if the moral state of the world was not going to reach a similar apex of darkness that demands absolute destruction. God didn't send the children of Israel into the promised land until the iniquity of the Amorites was full. God didn't flood the world until its iniquity had climaxed. He didn't send fire on Sodom until its rebellion had peaked. So we can safely conclude that the awful world-expunging judgment that falls at the second coming of Christ comes precisely because the wickedness and apostasy of mankind had reached its awful climax in the days of the Antichrist. Yes. Amen. Yep. Yep. 100%. And there's, again, you have a whole slew of these, the four yep, line there's, of arguments. There's another uh, five arguments there yep. that people can follow. They're yeah. all biblical arguments. Yeah. Every single one. Again, here I am saying the same thing. You guys got to get into this book. There's nothing... I mean... You guys are going to find everything we're talking about and in greater detail in the book. Okay, so argument three says no comfort derived, and I totally agree, no comfort derived from knowing that there will be a last day's apostasy. But I want you to talk to us about that using that specific argument. Sure. Um, they They claim that the church can't, have any comfort from this passage if if we know that there's going to be an apostasy in the last days how's that going to going to bring comfort to us because right. we get our comfort from the rapture um but this is more of an emotional appeal yeah. than a theological argument sure um the fact of the matter is um if comfort really is the legitimate issue for verse 3 um then why don't we turn our guns on the revelation of the Antichrist? They're not questioning what that the revelation of the Antichrist means the revelation of the Antichrist. Yeah. What comfort do you and I get from knowing there's going to be an Antichrist <laughs> down here on earth? <laughs> we get absolutely no comfort. Yep. And if, if and if it's legitimate to translate the revelation of the Antichrist, even though it gives us by revelation of the Antichrist, even because it, even though it gives us no comfort, then it's legitimate to translate apostasia by apostasy, yeah. even though it gives us no comfort. I don't get any comfort from knowing the world is going to uh, go through the time of great tribulation. And folks, to be honest, I'm going to tell you right now, God doesn't get any comfort from that either. Yeah. 
The comfort comes from, from on the other side when the sheep and the goats have been divided and all ungodliness is removed from the earth. Yeah. But I will say this. Let me jump in there real quick. Yeah. Because I do believe in one of my, two of my favorite verses, 1 Thessalonians 4.18, right? Therefore, comfort one yep. another with these words. And I believe if you jump down to 1 Thessalonians 5, 10 or 11, it says the same thing for us to yep. comfort one another. So Absolutely. So I and make our comfort comes yeah, from the rapture, exactly. which is in verse 1. It's in that passage. Yeah. So I want to make sure that we folks understand the distinction between the comfort that Lee's talking about and the comfort that we do have knowing that our Lord and Savior is going to pluck us out before things get really, really hairy. Now, here's something else that needs to be understood. Sometimes people get the idea that the Jews are going to use only the Old Testament in the tribulation. Yeah, I don't know uh, where they th get that. This so. is a boneheaded mistake, yeah, folks. Yeah, I don't know where they get um, They're going to use the Gospels. Yep. They're going to use the Epistles. They're going to use Hebrews. They're going to use the Book of Revelation. And they're going to get a ton of light. Yeah. And they, they're going to be excited when they read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 uh, in the time of tribulation because it's going to tell them the order of events that's going to happen. And and they're also going to get comfort from Luke 21, 28, because when they see all the nasty stuff happening, uh, all the, the signs of the end of the age that's yep. in the Olivet Discourse or that's in Paul's epistles, then this is going to come to uh, apply to them. When these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draws nigh. Amen. Folks, that's how you get comfort from seeing negative things. Mm -hmm. We don't get comfort from the negative things themselves. Yep. We get comfort from knowing that the, the prophetic convergence that we see happening in the world around us, that prophetic convergence tells us the rapture is near. Yeah. And after the rapture has happened and the people in the tribulation have way more prophetic convergence than we have, that same prophetic convergence tells them to keep looking up because the coming of the Lord to the earth to set up his kingdom and deliver the righteous is at hand. Amen. Amen. I couldn't agree more. And and at the end of this, uh, at the end of the podcast, again, I always want to make sure I try my best. I try my best to give folks the comfort of knowing who Jesus Christ is, at least telling them how they could do that. So we'll get to that because that's the best, best, best comfort and hope that we have because whether it's via graduation you know via death or the rapture so um okay lee what do you say we we move on to number four the grammatical argument yeah we can do that and okay. that one won't take long at all and nope. neither will the uh exegetical They're okay both so, fast. so let's get through those let's go through um talk to us about the grammatical argument let me let me do actually let me set it up for you first so yep you say here that four distinct grammatical arguments have been made as to why apostasia should be seen as a reference to the rapture rather than a reference to apostasy in the last days. The first is the claim that apostasia is not grammatically qualified. The second is the claim that apostasia has the definite article. The third is the claim that the definite article with apostasia points back to and links with, quote, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together unto him. And the fourth is the claim that the definite article with apostasia indicates definiteness in time, 
even instantaneousness, and therefore apostasia must refer to the rapture. So now that I've laid those four out, if you wouldn't mind covering each one of those quickly. Yeah, let's start with the last one, sure. where the idea that the definite article, so that it's the apostasy or the departure. Yep. Uh, the claim that that means that it has to be something that happens at one unique point in time. Uh, this, folks, there's zero ground for that. That's just uh, begging the question. Yeah. You couldn't find that rule in any, if you went and bought a hundred different Greek grammars, advanced and intermediate Greek grammars, uh, and and that a hundred Greek grammars of that level would probably run you five thousand bucks plus. But if you went and bought that and you read through all of them, you wouldn't find a single line that would defend that handling of the Greek article. That is a bogus Greek rule. Okay, so let's move on to the other ones. Um, they they claim that with the the um, that apostasia has to be grammatically qualified for it to mean. Uh, like apostasy. So what they mean is uh, departure, like if it said departure from the faith or departure from Moses, those are the kind of things we see in the Septuagint and the New Testament. Um, so that you have the word departure and it's grammatically qualified by from Moses or from the law or from God. Um, then it means uh departure like in the sense of apostasy correct but if it simply says departure it has no reference to or simply just has apostasy without any other material physically attached to it then it means physical departure or a generic departure but folks let me reiterate the greek word apostasia nowhere in 750 years of koine greek was ever used for physical departure. That sense never existed. It's a figment of people, men's imaginations. It's a fairy tale. It, it, I'll, I'll say it again. It is a fairy tale, okay? Yeah. Now, um, on top of that, this whole concept that you have to have grammatical qualification, if you go back and you just started examining the use of this word, in Koine Greek, and I give examples in my book, we're not going to bring them out here. The word is frequently qualified not by words immediately attached to it, but by the information in the context. Mm -hmm. There is no rule anywhere in Greek that would require apostasia to have a qualification like a prepositional phrase immediately attached to it to limit it. To, to apostasy from God or rebellion against the government. That, that rule itself is an arbitrary rule that was framed only to beg the question. It's not based on Greek grammar. It's not based on actual Greek usage. Yeah, yeah. I like what you say here in page 63. <clears throat> Some of the rapture theory defenders claim that the definite article with the noun apostasia refers back to something that was mentioned earlier. Because apostasia is feminine, they link it with two earlier nouns that have the same gender, coming and gathering. But this supposed grammatical insight faces four major hurdles. And I like what you put here first. First of all, the definite article in and of itself does not refer back to anything, period. That's right. It has no innate back reference, 
period. It marks or modifies the word or phrase which follows it. And I think that's really, really important to uh, uh, to mention here, for yes. sure. For Can sure. Can you bring up uh, First Thess or Second Thessalonians two one through three and show it? Is that possible? Yeah, yeah. Let me do that. Let me get over there. So we are looking for which ones? The first three verses of chapter two. Okay. Let me get over there. So Second Thessalonians, right? Yep. All right. Chapter two. Chapter two. All right. Here we go. So this is it. Let me get on over here. This is the Bible Gateway. So what version do you want? Uh, it doesn't matter. Okay, let me go to the New King James. And there we go. So there is chapter 2. You okay. I can't quite read it. Can you blow it up a hair? I'm not or no? sure. I'm not sure. There you go. So. There we go. Okay, yep, now I can read it. Now, what we what you see here is in verse 3, it, we see the falling away. And that uh, phrase, the, fa the falling away there, that's the, uh, yeah, there you go. That's the phrase that we're looking at, the apostasia. Now that's feminine in Greek. And so people say that this is referring back, because it has the definite article, it's referring back to verse 1, to the phrase, the coming of our Lord Jesus, uh, coming is also in the feminine. It's hey parousia. And it also refers to our gathering together uh, unto him because gathering is also a feminine noun. So they say this uh, apostasia, the falling away here, connects to the gathering. Uh, folks, there's a couple problems with this. First of all, even though uh, you'll have times when a noun in the Greek ref, uh, refers back to, to preceding material, which you have to understand there's definite patterns in how this works. Uh, and the common patterns are uh, can be seen in the grammars. Um, and all these patterns, uh, all, all the patterns except for one is material that's immediately connected to it. So for instance, you can have in apposition, you'll say, uh, David, the king. David is uh, the, the, the main noun, and the king is in apposition, and it's immediately connected to David. And so that immediate connection is how almost all of the back references work. So the king is referring back to the immediately connected David. The one exception is called the anaphoric, and that's where you can have, uh, in one sentence, you can have uh, bread mentioned with, like, artos, without the article, and then when that same bread is mentioned in the next sentence, it'll use the definite article, yeah. and that refers back. That means that this instance of bread refers back to the previous instance of bread. But this only works with the same noun. There is no pattern in Greek. And you can, again, uh, you can go look at 50 different Greek grammars, folks, the uh, intermediate grammars and advanced grammars. You will find no grammar that describes a use of the definite article that would jump from the falling away here all the way back to the coming and gathering. 
There's no such a Greek connection. Yeah. And let me point out something else that's even more impossible. It, um, there are two nouns that appear between those two, uh, between the coming and gathering in verse one and between the apostasy in verse three that are also feminine. And so you have the word day and you have um are we talking about epistle are we talking about the same this same passage right here so if you go backwards here uh the first one that appears that's feminine is the day right here in verse the end of verse two right there and then prior to that we have by letter or by epistle right there in verse two both of those are feminine now if this was actually going to refer back, if the falling away was going to refer back to the preceding a feminine noun, the closest one is the day. And in Greek, it always refers back to the nearest noun of the same case if it's going to refer back. You know what, Lee? Can I do something really quick? And I yep. totally understand what you're saying right now. But if you guys wouldn't mind, just bear with me really quick, because... What I would like to do is I would like to read this passage in Spanish. And, okay. Um, let me go ahead and look that up real quick. So this is, let me get over here and show you guys what I mean. And you could, you'll hear the feminine um, in this. So again, it says, Pero con respecto a la venida de nuestro Señor Jesucristo y nuestra reunión con él, os rogamos, hermanos. Here it is. You'll be able to hear the word day, as you were saying, and the um, word or or epistle. So it says here, Que nos os dejéis mover fácilmente de vuestro modo de pensar, ni os alarméis, don't alarm, ni por espíritu, right here, ni por palabra, that's feminine, ni por carta, that's feminine, Okay, and so that's where I think, Lee, you're talking how they hold on to the feminine, right? They go back to the yep. feminine. And again, if we look at verse 3 right now, which is right here, this is verse 3. But let me show you what the what the word is. Let me read it out loud and you guys can get it. Nadie os engañe en ninguna manera, porque no vendrá sin que antes venga la, right there, apostasía. Y sea revelado el hombre de pecado. That's where they get it. Feminine right there. Feminine right there. And then feminine right there. And, and that's... But I mean, we can look throughout this. Nuestra, up here in verse 1, that's feminine too. So to make the argument just based off of that, to me, just doesn't make any sense. Again, I'm reading in Spanish. And so in Spanish, yep. it, it makes perfect sense. But there's no... There's no um, uh, we don't we don't mix those two up just because you know yep. you read a few uh, nouns or, or words that are feminine and then you suddenly go to the masculine. It's so so what I uh, so I hate what? to be harsh, but if I was a seminary professor and teaching let let's say second year seminary Greek exegesis, so someone theoretically has three full years of Greek under his belt already, and he's in his fourth year of Greek is second year of seminary level Greek. Yeah. If he was to hand in a paper making this argument, trying to make a connection based on the definite article with uh, apostasia in verse three and linking it back to the coming and the gathering in verse one, I would give that person an F for that paper. 
This because would... and I would I would question if he even <laughs> deserved to be in my uh, Greek exegesis class because yeah. I would feel like if you can make if you can abuse the Greek article this bad, have you been paying attention for the past three years? Yeah, there is no Greek rules on the use of the Greek article that that would defend that treatment that yeah. argument yeah. none yeah. Yeah. It's funny because I could say el otro, which is masculine, el otro dia, which is feminine. So I'm using I'm using masculine, feminine, you know, in the same day. And I guess as I read this in Spanish to me, and again, I grew up speaking Spanish. So it I don't see maybe this is an English thing, but I don't see the connection. You know what I mean? Just because you got right. the feminine, there's there's zero connection there. But anyway, again, we could spend so much time just talking about the grammatical argument and we really didn't cover a whole ton of it i don't think no we did, no but know? i think we gave enough information here to go back and look at the book more carefully we did and you you know what you also touched quickly as you were explaining the grammatical argument you also touched on the exegetical argument which also i think is is huge um, Brad Myers, who's a dear friend, uh, and again, for those of you guys that don't know Brad, he is on the feed right now, and Brad has helped uh, many men that you guys respect highly do research for their books, and uh, Brad knows what's up. And, yep, bro uh, Brad yep. has done a lot of heavy lifting for a lot of books, books whose other people's names are on the book. Yeah, so if you guys see Brad on the feed, make sure to give Brad... Um, a thumbs up, say what's up to Brad, but he poses a great, fabulous question. We'll get to that at the end uh, about the Geneva 1599 Bible, which I think is great. And you could find this online. Um, so folks, real quick, Lee, before we move on, yeah. rest assured that um, my moderator, Ruthie, is actually sending in the questions to me so that they don't get lost up in the feed. I have them all here. We will get to them. I'll make sure that I make time to get to questions. We'll get through the next couple arguments quickly because I want to make sure that we address the context argument, the contextual argument, because Amen. no matter who I've talked to, it always comes back to, well, but it's if you got to look at things in context. And yes, I agree that when we read scripture, we have to make sure that we read scripture in context. But sometimes the word context can get taken out of context. So it's important to keep it in context. That's that right. Makes any sense. So, Lee, let's cover the exegetical argument and then uh, the contextual argument, and, and we'll go to questions. Sure. The exegetical argument wants to make a parallel between verse 3 where we have uh, hey apostasia, or the apostasy, and yep. the Antichrist, make a parallel between that and verses 6 and 7, where we have the removal of the restrainer and the revelation of the Antichrist. And um, here, the difficulty is, uh, there's no doubt in, a, in the broader sense, there's a, there's a parallel here, and I'm not going to dispute that. But the difficulty is, no matter what you think you see in a parallel, if apostasy cannot mean physical departure, then you can't draw the parallel sure. with verse three. Yep. You're gonna have to back up to verse one. And so if you back if you say the parallels between 
verses 1 through 3 and verses 6 through 7, you get to maintain your parallel and you don't have to assign apostasia a definition that it never bore and you don't have to assign it a translation with a meaning that no English Bible or German Bible or Latin Bible ever intended. So let me get over there real quick and read that, if you don't mind. So I went back to yep. English. And uh, verse 3, let's read it. Most of you guys already all know this probably by heart. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Let's drop down to verse 6 and 7. And verse 6 and 7 says, And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So there you go, folks. Um, that is the uh, verse 3 and 6 and 7 um, parallel, right? So yep. I wanted to make and sure. If, and if you want to have the parallel from 6 and 7... With the removal of the restrainer and the revelation of the Antichrist, if you want to find the parallel earlier, all you have to do is include verse 1 and you have your parallel. Yeah. You have the, the removal of the church and you have the revelation of the Antichrist. So objections to the argument, quickly, if there's any more, one or two more, if there is. That you wrote. And I know, I, I, and the reason why I'm saying this, let, let me read uh, page 69, that way I can frame it. Yep. Uh, you say, but this argument is not nearly as weighty as many have made it out to be. Observe the following points. First of all, this argument faces the same difficulty that most of the arguments face. Apostasia didn't bear the sense of physical or spatial departure during the Koine era. And then you, you go on to say, this being the case, apostasia can't bear the sense of physical departure in 2.3. If it can't bear the sense of physical departure, then it cannot be a reference to the rapture, and it cannot imply the removal of the restrainer, the Holy Spirit, with the rapture. If it can't imply the removal of the restrainer, then there is no parallel between verse 3 and verses 6 to 7. This is a hurdle that no amount of exegetical gymnastics... I love the way you put that. Exegetical gymnastics can negotiate. That's right. So um, is there, I know you have a second, third, and fourth. Um, I don't know if you want to touch quickly on those or you want to move on. I think we should just move on to the, uh, to the, the final argument, the contextual argument, because that's really, this is where everyone's digging in. Yeah, this is where when, the, when the they heels, get, yep. When they throw up their hands and they know they can't answer the grammatical argument. They yep. know they can't answer the translation argument. They know they can't answer the meaning and usage of the Koine Greek. They dig in right here in the context I agree. and they refuse to surrender. <laughs> I agree. So I'll tell you what, let's, let's go here. This is, this is our, this is the hill, right? This is the mountain that we're going to, this is the hill folks are dying on. That's it. This is it, man. The contextual argument. So Lee, take it away, brother. All right. Well, the, the argument is made is that the context of the entire book of 1 Thessalonians and the entire book of 2 Thessalonians is the rapture. It's this big generic claim that that's the context of the books. Yes. Therefore, in verse 3, it has to mean the rapture. Folks, 
I mean, I don't really understand why anyone can hear that argument and not shake their head a little bit and feel like it's a weak argument. Yeah, That's the kind of argument that we gravitate to when we want to believe something. Folks, don't gravitate to any argument unless you are obligated to embrace that argument. Yep, agreed. Now, let's point out what the real context is here. Um, I want you to notice that, yeah, you're going to see the rapture in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18. It's very clear. It's unmistakable. And the rapture does appear in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 1. It's unmistakable. Now, the rapture is implied in a few other passages in 1 Thessalonians yep. and in uh, 2, Thess 2 Thessalonians. is no doubt about it. But the rapture is not specifically addressed in every chapter in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. Many of the references that are claimed to be rapture passages are just generic second coming passages. They might imply the rapture in a broader sense, but they don't state the rapture. It's talking about the second coming. Now, the other thing I want to point out is the context of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 is not the rapture. The context is the day of the Lord. Correct. The, the entire end of the first chapter, the last two-thirds of chapter 1, is uh, the day of the Lord in the sense of the arrival of the, of the day of the Lord, the full arrival. It's the rising of the sun in judgment at the second coming. Can I go over you, here for you? Um, I'll put that. Yeah. I'll put that scripture up, and there's verse one. If you wouldn't mind reading that for everyone, yep. that'd be great. And and now, it, yeah, I'm going to read that first. I want to add the material that's after it, and then we're going to look at the first three verses. You got it. Go for it. So then, the end from verse four onwards in chapter two, it's also talking about the day of the Lord. It has a bunch of material on the day of the Lord in the sense of the dawning of the day of the Lord, which is during the 70th week. And then it has material that pertains to the arrival of the day of the Lord at the second coming. Now, um, if you put that back up, bro, then I'm going to go through those first three verses which and point this argument out. We already have that for chapter one, the context is the day of the Lord, and most of chapter two, the context is the day of the Lord. Now, when we come here, verse 1, we see, now, brethren, um, and I'm just going to read this version here, even though I think this translation is not quite accurate. Okay, which one do you want me to put? Because I could put whichever one. Put up the one. King James. Let's do that. So let's go to the yep. King James. You sure you want the new intergalactic version? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Let me get to the new King, uh, the King James version. And then oh, I was thinking we could use the bubblegum paraphrase. Oh, there you go. <laughs> even better. All right, brother, there you go. Now, we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letters from us, is that the day of Christ is at hand, or the day of the Lord. I prefer the day of the Lord. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except their coming of falling away first, and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Now, I want you to notice something. The context before this passage is the day of the Lord. The context after it is the day of the Lord. So the context is the day of the Lord. Now, I want to point out the rapture is not mentioned here as a topic in and of itself that's going to be developed in the context. The, the rapture is mentioned here. Because Paul is letting the believers know 
in the middle of a, a covering of the subject of the day of the Lord, he says, I know we're talking about the day of the Lord, but I don't want you to be worried about the day of the Lord because we are going up in the rapture. We are not going through the day of the Lord. Yep. We're not going through it. Yeah. That's why the rapture is mentioned here. Let me get on. Let me get over there. There you go. We could see Lee now. So um, let's let's continue. So the contextual argument. I want to make sure that I want to read a couple things in your book, and then absolutely okay. I want to read a couple things, and then I want you to respond quickly because I do want to get to questions. So first of all, as you said, Second Thessalonians opens with the observation that believers were suffering persecution and tribulation for their faith. Right. Uh, yep. This is Second Thessalonians chapter one verses four through seven. Later on, we read. That they were treated. Oh, and by the way, that's yes. a mistake, and the book should be First Thessalonians four. Yeah, First Thessalonians. Oh, chapter four, chapter four, right? No, I think I said Second Thessalonians chapter one verses four through Correct. seven. Yep, yep. It should be First Thessalonians four verses one through seven. Ah, uh, okay. That so was a typo. <laughs> that's all right. So when you get your book, make sure that you fix that. All right, folks. You go on to say, later on, we read that they were treated shamefully, chapter 2, verse 2, and persecuted by the, by the Jews, chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. So here we go. Times of severe persecution are typically accompanied by men, key here, falling away from the faith. So this heavy tribulation implies, at very least, an occasion for apostasy. This tribulation is the very reason that Paul penned the first portion of the second chapter. And I agree. Oh, let me go over here. I agree 100%. 100%. When we look at it first and foremost, Paul was right. His concern was for what, Lee? For the church at Thessalonica. He was afraid that they might fall away. Yes. He had the same problem we have today. There are people in the church that have not made their calling and election sure. Uh, they have a profession of faith. They're not necessarily actually truly born again, and that was his fear. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. It's very similar to people that watch this podcast and haven't subscribed. <laughs> Sorry, I had to throw that in there. There's like yep. cricket, silence. I don't know if I have a little sound effect for that, but I think I do have one, and... Uh... You hear the crickets? Oh, yeah. That's what I hear right now from everybody in the audience. <laughs> Anyways, okay, so um, this is what we got. Secondly, the connection between severe persecution and apostasy is not an ad hoc speculation on my part. You say, church history is filled with painful accounts which demonstrate that persecution and apostasy are frequent traveling companions. I really, really like that word picture. They are frequent traveling companions. You say in 1 Thessalonians, we read that saints in Thessalonica were suffering such severe persecution, like we said, that Paul worried that his labor might be in vain. That's right. Fast forward. He knew that men do get moved by these trials if they aren't properly established and comforted. What Paul? What did Paul fear that the saints in Thessalonica might do? He feared that they might walk away from the faith they once professed. And last thing I want to mention right here, you go on to say, thirdly, the apostasy of the last days is addressed in the second chapter of 2 Thessalonians. The third verse transitions from the topic of the day of the Lord to the apostasy and the Antichrist 
Antichrist, <laughs> Antichrist, which precede that day. Then Paul spends nine verses, which would be verses 4 through 12, commenting on the rise and reign of this evil fiend and the powerful forces at work that forced the whole world down a dark path of apostasy. And I couldn't agree more. I think I'm going to end it there. If you want to add anything to that, I would agree. Um, well, I agree 100% with what you just said. I don't know if there's anything else you want to add. No, I just wanted to reiterate the fact that in in verse 1, the rapture is is introduced not as a subject which is the, is the subject of the context, not as a subject which Paul is going to develop, but because in the midst of all that context in the day of the Lord, he wanted to make sure that they understood they were not going to go through the day of the Lord. Their fear, because they were in some of the most severe persecution that was ever seen in the early church, they feared because they were under tri great tribulation that they were in the time of the dawning of the day of the Lord, and yeah. they feared that the day of the Lord itself was going to just was probably going to break over their head. And and Paul's saying, no, you're not in the time of tribulation, and the day of the Lord is not going to break on your head. You're not in the timing of, of the dawning of the day of the Lord if there's not a literal Antichrist on the planet. Now look around. You see a literal Antichrist. Oh, no, you don't see a literal Antichrist? Well, then you're not in the time of the dawning of the day of the Lord. And, and before the day of the Lord can come, you have to have the dawning of the day of the Lord you have to have the Antichrist in the apostasy of the last days. Yeah. If they're not there, then you're not in the tribulation. You're not in the dawning of the day, and you're not facing the day of the Lord. Yeah, amen, 100%. So listen, folks, um, that will do it as as a whole. We went quick on some things. We spent a little more time on others. But, yeah, but we did finish. But we did finish, and the apostasy debate ends now. That's it, man. That's all I got to say about that, right? Um, like Forrest Gump, you'd say, that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> Anyways. Okay, folks, listen, I've got a slew of questions here. If you guys want to keep uh, throwing in some questions, that would be great. Um, uh, thank you, Jenny C. Uh, from Ohio. Always listening and subscribe. Thank you so very much. So um, my mods, they send in the questions here. And so they didn't get lost in the feed. And I am so ever grateful to them for doing that. So, Lee, what do you say we start taking questions? Because I would love to move through these quickly and get through every single one of them. What do you say? Let's do it. Okay. So I'm going to go back up here. Panther Gal 73 says, the souls. Now, some of these might be about what we talked about today. Some of these might not necessarily be as much as I'm going to try and stick to the question, to the subject at hand. I think there's still some great questions in regards to Bible prophecy in general that I don't want to uh, I don't want to leave them unaddressed. So Panther Gal 73 says the souls under the altar in Revelation chapter six, can they be martyrs of Christians from now, but uh, from now before the tribulation? So I'm, I'm wondering if from now until before the tribulation is maybe, I, you know what, I, I think I'll second that question from, from her as part of me. I've wondered if what we see in Revelation chapter six, right? Um, are martyrs from the beginning of time up to that specific point, right? Because if we go later on, we know that a part in Revelation says, no. well, he says, no, um, you're going to have to wait 
until your brothers and sisters. Um, let me, you know what? I don't want to misquote it. So best place to go is the word of God. So let Amen. me read it. Let me go over there and read it, and then we'll address the question. So let me see. Give me a second, folks, as I'm looking this up. You know, they say guys can't uh, multitask. That's so true. Pastor Jack talked about that. Be able to do two things at the same time. I'm trying to actually find a passage and not have dead time like that. That's like the worst thing you can have. So um, right here. So this is the fifth seal. This is the cry of the martyrs. Let me read it to um, uh, frame this in con. Here we go. In context. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. So, and they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer. And this is where I was curious until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were, was completed. So, um, Lee, what do you think about that? I think that that's the Old Testament saints and the saints that have already perished in the first half of the tribulation. And they've got three and a half years of great tribulation yet to go. Okay, so what about church church age saints that have been martyred you don't think they're a part of that um well we would have been part of that picture before the rapture and that's what i mean uh, i'm i'm saying as part of those martyrs that have well those that have been martyred throughout even church history because we know there were a ton of them right yeah do you think that they also make up part of that group crying out lord when are you gonna avenge well, us as far as the group that we see there under the fifth seal uh, no. Okay. There would have been an analogous group prior to the rapture of the church. Because in my mind, the church is raptured before the first seal is opened. Correct. So we, you know, prior to the to the opening, uh, prior to the rapture of the church, there would have been a multitude of church saints up in heaven with a similar cry. Um, but once they're glorified, then they're no longer under the altar. They're just no longer souls under the altar. Well, we they have yeah. their resurrection bodies, right? Um, but here, these folks are waiting for the for the coming glory at the second coming. They're waiting for the resurrection. They're they're waiting for the blessings, and the Lord says, "You just got to wait a little while longer. Just have a little patience." Okay, so what you're saying essentially is Old Testament saints, right? Martyred Old Testament saints. Yep. And then you got pause, parentheses, whatever you want to call it, and then right. play button back first three and a half years of the tribulation. Yep. That's these two groups. Oh, let me see. Right yep. there. These two groups are what make up the martyrs under the altar in seal number five. Yes. Okay, perfect. All right. Uh, Panther Gal, I hope that that helped answer. If you don't mind, if that was cool, if you're still on, give us a thumbs up. Okay, Linda Pelliteri. Linda, I'm so sorry. Pelliteri. I should always remember that. I've seen, I've seen you on here before, sister. Great to have you on. Question, can you explain why this isn't a dual prophecy? Now, uh, which one are we talking about? Uh, Linda, if you're on, which which one are you talking Can you explain, clarify the question a little bit more? We'll come back to it, if you don't mind, because I'm not sure. Maybe it was we were talking about something specifically in the beginning. and Oh, I bet she's asking if uh, apostasia can't have a dual meaning. Because okay. that that, that's typically 
where people want to have it refer both to an apostasy and a departure. Ah, got it. Okay, go for it, um, Lee. And I don't have a problem with people raising the question. The difficulty is a word can't have a dual meaning um, if one of the meanings doesn't exist. That's the difficulty that we face. Correct. And what you mean by doesn't exist is what we talked about, meaning it wasn't used as what we mean it to say now. It wasn't used like that back in Middle English time, right? Yeah. But okay. even with the Greek, too, like apostasia in Greek never bore the sense of physical departure. Okay. So the word itself can't be a dual reference to both the rapture of the church and the apostasy. It can't be two different departures Correct. in one word. I agree. And I've said this many times. There are uh, three, pretty much three common rules of logic. Rule number one, if you guys want to write this down, what a thing is, it is, right? This is a Sharpie pen. It cannot be my cup of coffee. What a thing is, it is. This is a Sharpie. It's always going to be a Sharpie. No, uh, rule number two is what a thing is not, it is not. This is not a cup of coffee. So it's always going to be. These are just common rules of logic. And then rule number three is what we would call the law of the excluded middle, which pretty much states what a thing is. It cannot be what it is not at the same time. And that, what you just said, pretty much applies to that. I don't think we can have the same meaning uh, two different meanings to what we were talking about, to one word at the same exact time. Yep. So um, those are just, and Paul used those, Dr. Uh, Pastor David Hawking talks about this as well, that Paul used those three common rules of logic all throughout, especially if you look at the book of Romans. He yep. used it a lot, right? Yep. Um, now you can have, a word can have uh, a dual departures, like if you have a word apostasy in the passage, and it can have primary application to uh, apostasy and, and a secondary application to apostasy, but it can't have two different departures. It exactly. can't have a physical departure and an apostasy. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. I agree. Okay, Linda, hope that helped out. I'm just going to move on down the, li uh, the line. Let's see how many we can get to. Skiz says, it's hard to find people who think like we do on pre-trib rapture, and even in Jesus Christ. So even more fall away? I'm asking and have my thoughts, but who falls? I think the question is, who would be those that are going to um, apostatize when uh, during that time? I hope that's what you were, you were yeah. asking. Basically, years ago, I heard a dear Reformed uh, preacher friend of mine say to me, because I was struggling with Hebrews chapter 6 and falling away, and he said, this is really actually a very simple solution. If you can fall away, you will fall away. Yeah. This is true right now. If you are not born again, regenerated by the Holy Spirit, you do not have enough spiritual insight, spiritual wisdom, and spiritual power to not fall away. Yeah. You can maintain a form of religion. But you will fall away. Amen. Now, what's what's interesting is we come into the tribulation. This it's the same principle, but the stakes have been raised. You have an insane amount of supernatural power manifested by God yep. and supernaturally empowered testimony. 
on the part of the devil, you have supernaturally empowered testimony and supernatural miracles. Uh, but there's poles apart between the morality of these messages. Uh, and during this time, if you can fall away, you will fall away. Yep. The only way to, to not fall away in the tribulation is to actually turn towards the Lord Jesus Christ and be born again. Yeah, and you are facing, those who do that will be facing sure martyrdom during yep. the tribulation, hands yep. down. The vast majority, I'm going to say the vast majority of people that believe in the tribulation are going to be martyred. Yeah, 100%. I agree with that too. All right, Skiz, hope that answered the question. Let's go to, oh man, man, some of you guys' screen names, you got to work on these. <laughs> I'm trying to, snoo to, uh, I hope I said that right. Uh, says, do we need to wait till the world is way more evil than it already is? Um, I believe what he's saying is, do we do we need to wait till it gets even more evil till the Lord comes? Well, well like, we don't know. Here's the interesting thing: when it comes to the rapture of the church, in the in the past few years, I I've listened to uh, friends and uh, people that I know on YouTube videos that I don't necessarily know them as friends, but I know who they are speculate that you know uh the spring feast or a fall feast of the last year or the year before the year before that could be the rapture and i was always hesitant yeah and the reason i was hesitant i didn't think the stage was set far enough and there's temporal considerations uh like the six thousand year theory that i have in my mind but now to be honest folks when we come into the year 2023 I do believe that 2023 to the end of 2025 is that's my rapture window. I per, my the two years I think are most likely is 2024 and 2025, but we have literally come to a point now folks because we don't know how much time is going to elapse between the rapture and in the start of the tribulation. Uh we don't uh know how far the stage is going to be set, but in my gut I sense and in my discernment, I sense that we have literally come to the point where the rapture could happen anytime now. It could it could happen tonight while we're sleeping. Let, it could happen right now in the middle of the program. Let's I, I wanna uh I want to make sure that people understand no one's setting dates here because I think they would that's say, right. Well, Lee said 2024, 2025. No, that's not I'm thinking it could happen today, but I'm not setting right. the date as today. That's I right. I think what Lee is saying, and I want to make sure that this is crystal clear what we're saying. Nobody is setting a date here, but what we are saying is that if we are in the season of the Lord's return, right, then how much closer are we to the catching away of the saints in the rapture? That's what we're saying. There's That's nothing right. that has to happen. That's why I don't, um, I don't necessarily uh, believe that you know, it has to happen at the Feast of Trumpets, or it has to happen at Tish Ba'av, or it has to happen here or there. It could happen at any moment. That is the beauty of the doctrine of imminency. It could happen any moment. And I think what Lee is saying is, if you guys can hear the urgency in Lee's voice, is that it can happen any moment, and so therefore we need to be living our lives according to the fact that it could happen today it could happen at the end of this podcast and that would be wonderful that would be great yep. so i i don't want to put words in your mouth but i think that's what you said right lee yeah um 
we're just approaching it from a slightly different angle. Yes. I was talking about a a a, a rapture window that I favor, but the rapture could happen before or after my window. Yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. And I you know, I have I have my thoughts on when it could happen too, but at the end of the day, if I'm going to tell anybody anything, it's it could happen today. That's that's how close yeah. we are. That's yeah. really how close we are if we look at what's being set up on a global level because folks, let me just clarify this, Lee. I don't know if you want to jump jump in, but I do want to get to these questions and I know I'm just taking forever and there's a good handful of them. But here's the thing. Yes, there's always been earthquakes. Yes, there's always been wars. Yes, there have always been people that have tried to take over the world. Yes, and we can go down the list and fill in the blanks. There has always been blank. The difference between then and now is that then it wasn't always on a global scale where everybody agrees on a new world order. All the governments are coming together in agreement for fill in the blank, right? Whether it's because of um, climate restrictions or it's because of, again, the economy or it's because of a digital currency. And you can go down the list. Today, the difference is, is that these things are on a global scale and the large majority of the leaders in the world, they're gathering together, conspiring on how they can make this work. It's That's a, right. This is my belief, okay? This is my belief. It's gone from being something we talked about that, that was in the development stage and it's going to be here someday to something that it's being implemented right now. Correct, 100%. And that is on a geopolitical level. But if we were to also look on a natural level, right, nature, yes, we've always had big earthquakes, we've had storms, but now they're happening way more frequent. And you guys can actually go find graphs online and see yep. how the, the, there's this exponential spike in earthquakes that are greater than six and above, and they're happening all over. You got tsunamis happening. And these are things that maybe 20, 30, 40 years ago would be reported, but you're not hearing about that. You actually have to go dig for this stuff, but it's yep. happening. It's happening. So that's and, the and, difference. And someone just sent me a link today, too, on earthquakes, because I'd pointed out that even based on the uh, released data, that there's been uh, a, a pretty significant increase in the number of earthquakes, the number of earthquakes 5.0 and higher. Yep. And uh, and just a, a lot of increase, but they sent me uh, a link to a website. I forget which what the website was, but a brother that's been studying earthquakes for for many many years, and he goes with the raw data, not the filtered data from USGS. So he's gathering uh, the data on measuring earthquakes. From he gets it directly from the places that are doing the, the Richter scale readings, and then they feed it to the uh, U.S. Geological Service. Yes. And he's discovered that over and over again, earthquakes that should have been rated at 5.2, 5.3, um, they are dumbed down to 4.8 or 4.9 in the official record, and then they don't have to be uh, recorded as, as one of the uh, more significant earthquakes. I, I forget the technical terminology that was used. But it doesn't surprise me because we're we're used to seeing the data being fudged all over the map. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm going to keep moving on down here. Let's see if we could just get through these quick. But I want to get to this one. Brad Myers, question. Why does the 1599 Geneva Bible at the top of the page say 
He showeth that the day of the Lord shall not come till there be a departure from the faith and that Antichrist be revealed. Obviously, that's crystal clear, right? Yeah, absolutely. And the the example that Brother Brad brought out here, if you will take the time and go to the photolithographic or reprinted copies of the ancient versions, you're going to find similar evidence in all of the Bibles. Yep. Um, all those early Bibles, they they all have that kind of information. Uh, to to there's zero excuse for doing such shallow research that all you do is go to Blue Letter Bible or wherever you're going to go and just get the bare letter of the text and then draw conclusions from it. Okay, very cool. So listen, I'm not trying to cut you off. There's a whole slew, and I'm going to throw these at yep. you quick, all right? Whiplash says, this is for you. Lee, why do you believe we will have, quote, notification beforehand of the rapture? You mentioned that on your podcast. What about in a twinkling of an eye? So you want to clarify that for us? Yep. Let me let me go to Second Peter and read that verse. Let me put it up. Second Peter, what? That way folks can actually read it as well. So what are we looking yeah, at? Yeah. Um I believe it was Second Peter 119. Hold on. Sure. Yep, it is. Second Peter 119. Okay, let me put it up here for folks to read as well. There you go. Okay. So we have a short, more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. I think what's going to happen is that when, prior to the rapture, we're going to sense the day star rising in our hearts. We're going to have a forewarning. I don't know if it's going to be a few minutes or a few hours. I think we're going to have a forewarning. That's a very different issue than the fact that when the rapture actually happens, it's going to be instantaneous. It won't take a tenth of a second. Yep. The twinkling of an eye, I've read it's like a millionth or a billionth of a second. I don't know. Do you have a stopwatch ready? I'll t Just time me. Time me. Ready? Yep. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, so let me clarify real quick because I want to jump in here. So what you're essentially saying is that for the believer, it's almost like time is going to be slowed down a bit, but in the natural world, it's going to happen like that. Well, I don't know. That might be true or not. Okay. I'm just thinking that as we go about our daily thing, when we come to the day of the rapture, I think the Lord is going to give us a little heads up. And I don't know if he's going to give us a heads up five minutes before the rapture or an hour or two before the rapture. So can this, I... This is... Can I jump in here real quick and yeah, and, absolutely. And, and play the advocate here? Yeah. What isn't that what the Lord is doing now? Isn't he giving us a heads up? Yeah, in, in a more general way. Right? Yep, he it, sure is. So So we're just it would basically be building on the same principle because everywhere I go, it's kind of it's it, it's interesting. I'm a, among people that believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. I am seeing an intensity and a sensing of the nearness of the rapture yeah, that I've never seen in the last four decades. I agree. Never. Yeah, there's a quickening um, happening. People have, I've been around people for decades that would say, because they doctrinally believed it, the rapture could happen any moment. Yeah. Now, back then, I didn't believe that 30 years ago. Didn't believe it 20 years ago. Didn't believe it 10 years ago or five years ago. I do believe now that we've come to the era where the rapture can happen any moment. Yep. But what's interesting is no matter what side of that imminence question a person is on, the church is just seems to be electrified with the fact that the rapture is near. Not every individual, but a large number of individuals. Yeah, I think there are definitely people. Um, there are definitely people that are 
very excited folks i'm sure a lot of you guys are one thing that i thought i might end up doing a solo on is um let me get over there matthew chapter 22 matthew chapter 22 and i might end up doing a solo on this parable myself because i think it's great and it's very apropos this is the parable of the wedding feast but verse 14 of chapter 22 says for many are called but few are chosen many are called few are chosen and I think it would be incumbent on us to take heed to what the Lord says, right? That's right. Okay, so uh, let's see. Let's get some other questions. John Francis wants to know, where do the Jewish people go presently if they die? Let me, before you answer that, let me just say uh, and clarify, it doesn't matter if you're, a, if you're Jewish, if you consider yourself a, and I, I'm not bunching them all together, but I kind of am Mormon, Jehovah's Witness, whatever yep. it is. If you are, if if you're not circumcised of the heart, brother, it's it doesn't it doesn't work, man. You can be That's circumcised right. of the flesh, but it's circumcision of the heart, as Scripture says, that counts. So it doesn't matter if you're not in Christ. There's only one place you're gonna go, and unfortunately, I I don't like saying this, but it's biblical. It's a place called hell. That's I don't know right. if you want to add anything else to that. No, you. If if a Jew is born again, he's going to heaven. Amen. If a Jew is not born again, he's on the road to hell. Yeah, that's Period. it. It's, it's that simple. Okay, let it's me see. Blunt, but it's truth. It is. It is truth. Okay. Um. Let's see. VP Ord. Uh. This is at sir. Okay. So to me, question: What about the days of Noah and Lot? Things have to be in somewhat of normalcy state. We are quickly getting away from any sense of normalcy. Well debatable, debatable. For those of us that are in Christ, for those of us that are looking at the seasons, for those of us that are in the Word of God, we realize and recognize that the times we live in are anything but normal. That's right. But for those that are not in Christ, for the world, everything is going on as normal. They're eating, they're drinking, they're getting married. They're, I mean, this is stuff that is just uh, everyday life. And I've heard people already say, man, I am so glad that things are back to normal. I couldn't tell you how many people have said that, those that aren't in Christ. I've even heard believers say it. Yeah, 100%. So no, for those of us that are watching, we know that things are not normal and they're only getting worse. But uh, we believe, and you can add to this, Lee, you can add whatever you want. But if we take, and, and we didn't make that, we didn't make that, a connection. We didn't draw that parallel. That parallel. Jesus drew that parable, as That's in right. as in the days of Noah. He drew that parallel in Matthew chapter twenty four. So it would be again wise of us to take heed of how were the days of Noah. What was normal back then? And when we read about those accounts in Genesis, normal back then, we very well know it is not normal. Even That's though, right. even though they were giving in marriage, they were, and the word that is, as far as I know, the word they were given and taken in marriage, it could be used violently, right? Taken, yep. they were already married, but they were taken. So that was what was considered normal back then, right? But we know yep. very well that it was just, it was all violence. It was wickedness in man's heart continually. So that's very similar to what we're living in today. If you want to add anything to that, Lee, I would. No, I think it's a great point. If if you want to talk about normal and you're talking about days of no and days a lot, um, 
we haven't reached their normal yet, folks. Yeah. We're we're well on the way to reaching their normal, but yep. we haven't reached their normal. Uh yeah. what what was normal for them had been a slow change from moderate apostasy to intermediate apostasy to deep apostasy to insane apostasy, and then the Lord brought judgment. Yeah. Um, they were in steeped in wickedness. Yep. Yep, for sure. So um, if we look at it in that in that light, then we could see exactly why the Lord drew that parallel and why it's so important for us to make sure that we're aware of the times that we're living in. And if you realize that things aren't normal, that's a good thing. That is a great thing. So uh, thanks for the question, VP Or That was great. Okay. Uh, Don Diskin-Holland, question, Lee, what do you think the purpose of a heads up of rapture would be? I think that just kind of ties in to Whiplash's question about a um, kind of a notification beforehand. But if we kind of talked about that, but Lee, if you want to just quickly cover that question, go for yeah, it. Yeah, I think the Lord really does have a tender heart for us. Not only does he want as many people to be saved as possible, he wants every saint to, to have the largest possible reward in heaven. And he also wants them to be in fellowship with him. And the advantage of a heads up like that, if I'm correct, it's just a theory on my part, but it's based on a scripture that seems to suggest it. But if the Lord gave us a heads up, whether it was a five minute heads up or an hour heads up, and you got that heads up and you had been dabbling in sin, um, you would get that right, right there in the spot. You you would make it right. Yep. And uh uh, if you had someone that you were been feuding with, you'd probably give them a phone call and and heal that thing right there on the spot. Um, let me jump in there real quick because as I'm 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 going through these questions, but I'm listening to you. Yeah. And I'm going. You know what? Um, like I said, I think I stand on the fact that the Lord has is is so gracious. He is so yes. gracious that He is giving us. I don't think just a moment. Heads up. I think the Lord is giving us years of heads up. Amen. The, the Lord Amen. is showing us if you've got a problem with your brother, right? Matthew 18 principle. If you've got a problem with your brother, then go fix it. Go fix that problem right, right now. Because at the end of the day, we're talking about the rapture, but none of us know when our graduation day is. We don't know. Yeah. We don't know. And when let that me is. give you an encouragement too, folks, when it comes to what Pablo just mentioned. Nothing's guaranteed that if you go to a brother that you got yep. an issue with, yep. that it's going to be fixed. Yeah. But you get it off your chest and you make it right between you and the Lord. Yep. And that's that's all the Lord requires of us. That's right. That's right. That's, that's all that's required of us. Yeah. So to make the effort. To remember that it's not so much, it's our relationship, a personal relationship with our Lord and Savior, our Creator, Jesus Christ. And Amen. If, if any relationship needs to be right, it's our relationship with Him. If our That's relationship right. with Jesus Christ is not right, everything under that hierarchy, starting with Jesus, is going to be messed up, period. That's, That's just exactly the way it right. is. So listen, we went almost, well, we'll be two hours in one minute. So folks, um, Lee, I think that was great. That was really, really good. I appreciate it, brother. Amen. Yeah, you're going to come back on, I hope. Yes. We'll talk about well, something else. You had else. mentioned that you wanted to have me on. I forget the brother's name, but we were going to talk about pride. Yes, we do. Um, I don't, I don't, you know what? We'll, we'll talk about, uh, we'll set something up as soon as we get off here. And uh, I think it would be important, incumbent 
to talk about pride because I've always said, if there's anything that concerns me as a believer, it's pride. Because if we Amen. look, if we look throughout Scripture, pride is one. Of, hey, let's not go any farther. What was it that got Satan in the pickle that he's in? Pride. It's pride. What was it that cost David so many people when he had that census? It pride. was pride. And what was it that cost Nebuchadnezzar to, to, to go out in the wilderness and be like an animal and eat the grass and be covered with the dew of the day? For seven years, it was pride. And I think that we've got to be honest with each other and know that Scripture talks about pride a whole lot. And it's a subject that we can't ignore. I know there's a lot of subjects that we would want to just bury our heads in the sand or cover our ears and go, la, 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 la. But at the end of the day, these are specific subjects that the Bible talks about. And if it's in here, if the Lord put it in here, well, then we need to perk our ears up and talk about it no matter how uncomfortable it might get us. So That's yes, right. we're going to do that for sure. Ali, uh, before we go, as I said, we have the hope of Jesus Christ. But there are many out there who do not have that beautiful hope of Jesus Christ, who don't have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with our Savior. How can they get that? If you don't want, and mind speaking into them, that would be great. Yep. Well, I just want to very plainly state that to be right with the Lord Jesus has nothing to do with giving money, going to church, being baptized, being catechized, uh, it has only to do with you turning in your heart to the Lord Jesus himself and trusting him as the only way of salvation. Amen. This magnificent human being, who's also truly and fully God, came down to earth as a human being, lived amongst all the sin and filth and unbelief down here, died on the cross for all the sins of every man that ever lived for the entire world. And his blood is now on the altar in heaven is the only payment for sin. So, folks, if you want your sins forgiven, if you want to be right with God, if you want to be born again, turning to Jesus is the only way to be right with God. And, folks, mm -hmm. he says um, that all who come to him, he will in no wise cast out. He's He is, well, I, let me put it this way. I find it amazing that the person in the universe who is the most death on sin is also the person in the universe who's the most gracious to everyone that turns to him to find forgiveness for sin. Amen. Amen. Lee, can you lead us in a prayer uh, for those that might want? Go for it. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for all the good things that you've given to us. We particularly thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we do pray that if there be anyone listening here tonight that is not born again, that they would turn in their hearts to you and find forgiveness of sin and find eternal life and find all the beauties and treasures that are found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, we do pray that you would encourage every heart that was here tonight. We do pray that you would encourage Pablo and his family. We pray that you would bless Pablo's uh, ministry here, Serpents and Doves. We pray that you would bless all of his moderators who give of their time uh, and effort so freely and so lovingly to uh, lift up your work. And some of them work with other uh, online ministries too. Lord, we pray that you would bless all of them. And we pray that you'd bless everyone that was tuned in here tonight and pray you'd bless everybody 
who listens to this video. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. All right, folks, uh, that's a wrap. Before I go, a couple things, and I waited to the end on purpose, right? I waited to the end on purpose, and I'll make this really quick. If you guys enjoy uh, the content, if you guys enjoy what you're seeing, what you're hearing, uh, I would ask that you would share it if you wouldn't mind. And if you feel led by the Lord to support the ministry, you can do that. If you just go to the Serpents and Doves website, um, the link's in the description, and uh, you can support the ministry that way as well. That would be great. That's all I'm going to say about that. Soothkeep.info, uh, Lee's website information is also in the description below. Um, his books are there. I put the links there. I would encourage you guys to go. His resources are amazing. Again, if you guys can swing it, get the book. Get the book. You won't be let down. It is a wonderful read. It is an easy read, okay? Um, but Lee framed it in such a way that it's easy to understand. So I highly, highly encourage you guys to get the book. Um, Lee, anything else you want to add, brother? I just thank God for every person that's trusted in the Lord Jesus. I can't Amen. wait to meet every last one of you. Amen. I agree 100%. Folks, um, I hope you guys were blessed, encouraged, challenged. As always, please remember, if you want those uh, gospel cards, if you want 25 of them for free, just go to the website. Uh, the link to the website's in the description. Go to the Connect tab, fill it out. Give us your mailing address. I'll send you 25 for free. If you want more than 25, the only thing I'm going to ask is that you would prayerfully consider leaving a, uh, a donation just to help offset the cost of shipping, the materials, the printing. Um, that's it. That's it. But if you can't leave anything and you want more than 25, I will send those to you because I want to get the gospel out. We need to get the gospel out ASAP, ASAP, ASAP. So remember, folks, don't forget um, if you remember to uh, to subscribe. And uh, that would be wonderful just because the channel's stuck in a rut. I don't know why, but it's just kind of hanging there. So uh, that's where you folks come in. Prayer, prayer, prayer as well. Um, I think that's it, folks. So that'll that'll wrap it up on, on Thursday. I'm going to have uh, Brother Eric Barger. We're going to continue in our talk on the cults and on Mormonism. So don't miss that one. Until the next time, may the Lord richly bless you guys. Remember to keep looking up. All right? See you.